0: 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik. When I started writing it, I definitely didn't expect to be launching sort of the tail end of pandemic. Doing doing um, um, a lot of sort of virtual conversations, just like everyone. Uh, when, when I really expected to be kind of flying around and, and meeting people face to face, but I mean... Other than that, I mean, at least, at least we get to still communicate.
1: What was your process? Did you, did you use a Scrivener or something like that? Ghostwriter or, um,
0: oh, um, help or? oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you really want to break it down, interestingly enough, so this is my eighth book. Um, oh. so I've, I've, I've written before, um, through major publishers, um, O'Reilly, Pragmatic, um. And what a couple of years ago I had, I had, a, I had a, I had a kid, um, I had a baby and I wanted to write a book for her. Um, and so I wrote this book through Kickstarter campaign called computer science for babies. And it's like, it's like a cloth baby book and it's got like Boolean logic in it and a teething ring. I mean, it's really, it's just, it's the kitschy kind of thing. Um, but that was my first experience of actually trying to publish myself. Um, And it was fine for that um, because, you know, cloth baby book is more like a toy than it is, you know, uh, an actual book. There's no publishers for that. Um, And so I thought, you know, maybe maybe publishers just aren't relevant anymore. And maybe I'm going to try to go. So actually, this is published under my own press. Um, So it's Deep Tech published under Deep Tech Press. It's very intentional because I'm just curious, like, um, um, what role do they play in a world where, you know, most books are bought on Amazon or or Apple books or um sort of these two or three major channels anyway, Barnes and Noble. Um and so yeah, uh, but but I also knew that I'm not qualified <laughs> uh to do everything myself. And so uh, I actually employed a company called um Scribe. Scribe yes, um yeah. yep, the Tucker Max company and um um you know it, it was it was actually a really a pretty good experience because I, you know, I, I wrote the book and you know, I get the editors came in and they do what editors do. And um, um you know, we had the, the typesetters and the layout artists and the cover artists. I mean, you say you don't judge a book by its cover, but most people do. <laughs> they they'll look and if, it, if the cover looks like garbage, they're not gonna buy the book. So anyway, um yeah, it was it was it was kind of a really interesting uh experience because rather than me work rather than those people being supplied by the publisher, they were working for me and with me. And if I said, you know what, I don't want to do it this way, then they would be like, all right, we won't do it that way. A publisher, a lot of times they they won't listen. They'll say, uh-huh. you don't have a choice or we'll cancel your contract. Um, so it was a whole lot of fun.
1: How did you uh, finance it?
0: Um, I mean, in some ways, I I sort of I financed it with um, just spare money I had from like Bitcoin. (laughs) I just like, you know, because I actually believe in all of this tech um, that I talk about in the book and um, in a lot of ways um, in full transparency, it's like I I invest in a lot of it, Um, not necessarily well, I mean you know, one of my claims to fame is the fact that it's like I bought a cup of coffee with a Bitcoin in 2013 in Beijing. And uh, right now, that would be like a $60,000 cup of coffee, <laughs> US. And so um, uh, but you know, that's, 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 that just happens.
1: And what's the cookie after the whole process?
0: People always ask, like, why do you write books? It's like, I because I can't imagine not doing it. It's just I just, I'm always writing, um, the idea of sort of the the work and the effort for me is just collecting all that writing into a narrative that makes sense to other people. Um, but for the most part, it's just, um, just just doing it every single day, even when you don't want to. And so I know there's people like, there's some people that is like, you know, oh, I have to write like a thousand words a day, every single day. I mean, that's fine. I don't tend to be that hard on myself. And it's always starts, stops and starts. You just have to start again. it's like, I think a lot of times, like people look back and be like, oh, I didn't do anything for two months. It's like sunk cost, it's over, go back to it now.
1: Personality traits, persistence, what else?
0: Oh yeah, uh, geez, I would tenacity. I always say tenacity is like the one superpower required for writing a book um you know uh another another um what, what is it I, I think it's tom wolf that, that was saying that it's like the, the the big secret is that anyone can write a book um and it's true it's like uh anybody can um but, but my joke is always that um anybody can write one book not everybody can write five and to have a book that's actually good quality, you have to write it and rewrite it and rewrite it and rewrite it. So you'll end up having written like five books before you've published something. Um, and so that's that's really the, 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 the sticky part. I think a lot of people are like, well, the rough draft is the hardest part. The first draft, it's like, no, it's not. I, for me, the hardest part is killing the things you love the most of it. And this is where I think a great editor comes into mind. It's like I would say it's like you're not you're not a professional writer until you've had your heart ripped out by an editor because they just they just they'll find that you're the thing you love the most and they'll just be like, This doesn't work, get rid of it.
1: Any personal transformation during writing the book?
0: Yeah, in the sense that um, it's you, you, you become an expert, right? Um, there's sort of, you can either be an expert and then take that expertise and write a book, or you can become an expert during the writing because you're learning and you're researching and you're doing all of that. I mean, I think they're both fine. Um, but at the end, it's like, you do know a lot. I mean, you, you learn a lot because it's like most of the time, whatever's in the book is a small percentage of all the things you had to learn to, to, to make it. And this isn't just about my kind of book where it's sort of like a, um, where it's a sort of nonfiction has a lot of technical information. And it's even, even if it's just, you know, you're, you're writing something like deeply emotional or about society or something, you got to learn a lot about yourself or about your topic. My favorite description comes from uh, Joshua Siegel, who is the founder of the deep tech boot camp at MIT. And um, his description is that deep tech was impossible yesterday, barely feasible today, and tomorrow will become so ubiquitous it's hard to imagine life without it. It's a fundamental reimagining of the world and how we interact with it. And um, an example could be like mobile phones, right? Smartphones, like. Uh, in 2007, this was deep tech because in 2005, it wasn't possible. And here we are, you know, in a decade later and more, and we can't even imagine a world without smartphones. Um, it's like a perfect example of deep tech. What I found interesting in the impetus for this book was the realization that, um, so deep, real, true deep tech like is rare, like it doesn't come all the time. I mean, economists, they'll call it a general purpose technology. So like electricity or the steam engine or something major like that. Um, but right now we're this decade, we're at the cusp of seven transformational technologies, seven um, enablers of deep tech. And I say enablers because it's not about the tech itself. It's not about AI. It's about deep tech is what AI can do. Um, It's not about Internet of Things, Deep tech is about what IoT can do. And you take those two and you put them together and suddenly you've got something that Satya Nadella from um, Microsoft calls the intelligent edge. So it's like that's where it gets really, really interesting, sort of the combinatorial uh, uh, creativity that comes out of all of these different things. Usually there'll be one thing, right? Smartphones, think about how many industries that's disrupted. Now, think about seven smartphones <laughs> all coming out in the same decade. It's like it's hard for us to even imagine what 2030 is going to be like because you, you have AI, you've got Internet of Things, you've got um, extended reality like AR and VR, you've got blockchains like cryptocurrencies and NFTs, um, you've got uh, 3D printing, so additive manufacturing, um, you've got quantum computing, they're sort of at the tail end. Um, and then, uh, then you throw in sort of like autonomous robotics and like autonomous vehicles, self-driving cars, things like that. And, and, and all of these are coming to a head. Like some of them are, obviously it's not a perfect side by side March, but, um, some of them like AI are already here. IOT is already here. Some of them like self-driving cars and quantum computing are coming in the next five or so years. And just imagine the the end of the decade, (laughs) like, I mean, AI is like this kind of crazy thing like right now what's limiting ai is really computing power for the most part uh throw quantum computing onto ai and strap in like I, it's it's hard to even imagine where we're going to be a decade from now <music>
1: Would be regarding those seven technologies, or you can choose any any specific one. What what would be your sweetest dream versus your nightmare scenario? Uh,
0: Yeah, for for me, my favorite out of all of these are autonomous vehicles. I I feel like I feel like more than um, many others, like additive manufacturing or something, or um, that that it it's going to have the most immediate and obvious change when it happens. I mean there's there's obvious plus sides I mean 1, 1. 1.3 million people um, die in automobile related accidents every single year. Um, so I mean that's more than all um, drugs wars and uh, domestic violence all combined Whoa. and every single year it's just that it we just take for take, take, take for granted that that's the cost of transportation. So you've got these autonomous vehicles, these cars that, that, you know, eventually will be driving better than humans because, because they can relentlessly improve and get better and better and better. And they never stop paying attention. they don't get tired or they don't get drunk or anything like this. And so, um, yeah, we'll, we'll be in this world where, wow, one over a million people a year are saved. Like that's kind of an incredible thing. And that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg. And then you think about the fact that it's like, um, um, by 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 some some good estimates, um, when we have autonomous vehicles, 95% of a car's life is just sitting around, like sitting in a parking lot or a parking garage somewhere. And um, so suddenly, well, you don't need them to sit around, right? You've got a car that can drive off and pick someone else up, and then drive off and pick someone else up. So suddenly, um, uh, the number of cars that have to exist in the world is reduced dramatically by like up to 40% by some estimates. So think about the carbon footprint um, reduction that'll have. Because um, because the biggest carbon one of the biggest parts of of the carbon footprint of cars isn't just the driving them but it's actually the make the manufacturing of them
1: uh-huh. and the
0: waste that comes out of them um, uh, when when the, when they hit their end of life so reduce that by forty percent that's a pretty big impact um, so there's sort of all these like interesting amazing things like the way cities will be changed and it's like okay now if I don't have if a car is going to come pick me up whenever I need it I don't need to own one. Now I can, my garage is great. Now, now I've got a home gym. So suddenly like real estate starts changing from the personal level to the 30% of a city of, a, of, of your average city is spent on parking lots and parking garages. And it's like, oh, that can all be reclaimed for housing and business and all this stuff. So it's just going to change the, the, the shape of cities and on and on and on. I think it's, it's just amazing to me. I, I, that's probably the one I'm most excited about. downside (laughs) and this is where things like well what what could possibly be a downside of that well a few i mean um at least in the us uh in in 29 states the number one um uh job is uh is transportation truck driving and now suddenly that's automated Uh, like through no fault of their own these truck drivers are unemployable now people say well we'll just train them to do other things it's like uh, I, I know a lot of truck drivers, the 50s, 60s, they're not going to train to do anything else. Like they just can't. I mean, I mean, that's not that they can't, but it's just like it's like for what end? It's like they're going to spend 10 years cramming through college to become a computer programmer for, you know, um, it's, it's just, it just doesn't logistically work uh, too well. So I think there's going to be a big unemployment um, related to that. And the other thing, too, is you think you, you like, think about the sort of secondary and tertiary uh, industries that exist to service that. It's like, okay, it's great that we're going to make 40% fewer cars, but that's also probably 40% fewer jobs and manufacturing factories and car parts and on and on and on. Um, you drive down down the road and you'll, you've will got hotels and you've got diners, all these things for travelers to to you pull off the side of the road. You, well, what do you do when all of those people dry up? I mean, so those industries will start flitter. So I do think there is sort of this, this, this. We really have to be thinking now about what is going to be the impact of this amazing transformation, trans, transformational technology. If you want to get really dark, <laughs> 1.3 million people fewer people dying a year sounds great. However, those deaths are actually our best source of organs for people that need organ transplants. And so suddenly all of these organs that 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 are in the system are going to dry up. So if you've got kidney disease or liver or something like that, there's, there's, there's not going to be any, any donors. Um, and so we, again, we have to sort of think through that, but then, but then we get into this world of, okay, well, you know what, 3d printing, there's a lot of interesting it's work. The strategy, COS. work. Mm. That's right. And so, so, you know, that can be a solve for this. And so it's not, it's not that, You can look at one thing in a vacuum and say, oh, this is going to be great or this is going to be bad. It's like you have to think through. And this is, again, the whole central conceit of the book is once you understand the sort of arc of all of these technologies that are that are that are coming, um, you can start thinking through scenarios of, well, this might be bad over here, but it might actually have a solve over here.
1: Positive thing, positive thing for you, or sometimes it's it's a, a stressful thing to take into consideration all those scenarios and think mm-hmm. about seven different technologies and mm-hmm. and their interaction and about additive manufacturing and IoT and AI etc.
0: Um, y- yes, yes and no. What what I find is um, the, w- the way I deal with that is I just focus on educating and and um, say, look, this technology shift that's happening this decade. Again, I can't stress that enough. This decade is different from any previous decade because most of the time there will be the introduction of a new technology or some major general purpose technology, uh, some deep tech, but we've got a little bit of breathing room. right? We'll have a few years to sort of figure out what we want to do with it and all that. But it's like, this is not one of those decades. This is an outlier. I mean, if you, it's sort of like in the way we weren't really ready for COVID. We weren't ready for this pandemic. We're not ready for the, all the changes that are happening with all this tech. And so I think it's easy to become sort of overwhelmed and either, you know, fall into despair or, or, or exuberance either. I think you, that's equally as dangerous sort of irrational exuberance. Um, what I focus on is—I don't think there's any one person that could possibly wrap their head around all of this. So I've just given up <laughs> personally. I was like, it's just not possible. But I think if we can educate enough people that, uh, as a society collectively, we can solve this and have new ideas, and, um, and and so that's that's really what keeps me going. That's that's sort of the positive view outlook I have on this.
1: personally do you think all those technologies will help you personally in your life
0: Stay- yeah 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 uh, i mean just, personally, geez uh i mean i just look around my my house like i've got a 3d printer and i I've, i i've 3d printed widgets in my house like i've got an apple tv that i couldn't get to stick to the wall so i printed like a case for it and like drilled the case in and clicked it in i mean it just becomes part of your life and suddenly you know, my, my kids will be like, Oh, I want a little toy and I'll just find a 3d model and I'll print it up and I'll hand it to them. Um, and, and, and so those kind of things, they just start becoming natural. They just start becoming normal, uh, virtual reality. I, 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 on almost daily basis, I'm always in some kind of VR, um, uh, thing, AI, everybody uses AI, like you can't even get away from it. If you've ever used Siri or Alexa or anything like that, you're using AI to some extent. If ever bought a plane ticket those those have been priced managed by ai if you've ever searched anything on google those searches have been curated for you on ai facebook etc like your life is like already surrounded by ai um so that's almost unavoidable um obviously i said like the the autonomous vehicles thing i'm super excited about um i was an early bitcoin investor Inve- when I say investor, I mean based I mine Bitcoin. <laughs> I, I I just forgot about it and I didn't sell it. Uh and then it's like, oh, it's valuable now. That's fun. Um, but uh for for the for the most part, um uh yeah, I mean, I personally uh this is what I always tell people it's like if, if you want to really wrap your head around this stuff, go online, buy an Oculus, put on VR. You can't hear about VR. It's like being it does, told what the taste of food is like you you've got to experience it, or the words are meaningless um you know g- go get some smartwatch start doing some qualitative quantitative self uh tracking i mean i know what my blood pressure is uh and what am i sleep rate for the last like several years uh i don't know what that data is good for but you know maybe um maybe my doctors will find value in it in the future will know what my baseline is, and it's like you're above normal or below normal. What I about mean, our is,
1: interaction and and emotions, uh, uh, emotional maturity? Do you think it's good for, for the society yeah. for for uh, human uh, species or?
0: I don't believe that any technology is inherently good or bad. I mean, it's it's inevitable, but I don't think it's good or bad. I think um, it just makes everything more powerful, right? Think about the the technology to split the atom it was not inherently good or bad. We created bombs, but we also created nuclear power. So it's like, you, you, there's this balance for sure. It's fun to talk about the individual technologies, but, um, that's, that's not really the point. The point is that technology is just a tool. And so, um, the, I think the bright thing to think about this is is understand those tools at sort of a. You don't have to. It doesn't have to be a deep level. You don't have to understand how a hammer is made to use the hammer. Um, you just have to know what it's for and what it's good for. Um, you put those tools together, and and this is why I believe that everyone should understand these because um, everyone is capable of being creative if you focus on what your specialty is, what your outcomes need to be. Um, you know, I, I remember hearing that um, the the world doesn't want a better mouse trap. You you heard this like, oh, the world wants a better mouse trap, and they'll beat a path to your door. That's not true. The world doesn't care about mouse traps. What the world wants is an environment free of pests. That's what they want. So focus on that. Focus on that outcome. And that and and once you know what your tools and capabilities are, it, it frees you from this constraint of thinking, how do I improve on a mouse trap? And instead think bigger and say how do i create an environment that doesn't have pests in it because maybe the solution is not a mouse trap at all maybe the solution is a device that has a high pitched squeal that just keeps rats away you know uh and that's sufficient that's fine that you still get the outcome that you want and so that's that's my only like um my only request is 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 just don't just understand the tech and then don't dwell on it and just dwell on the as we like to say at my, my work, is fall in love with the 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 problem, not the solution. Uh, cybernetics, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there it's it's all over. I mean, there's already people that are um, uh, they call biohackers, where they just sort of will inject like NFTs Non, sorry, um, um, NFCs and near field communication chips, like inside their their hands and things like that. Um, uh, There, there's um, this uh, uh, professor from MIT Media Lab, fidelity that's really big into um, sort of swallowable microchips that kind of go through your system. And it has all these uh, reading, and they can use RFID to like get real time like information as it's moving through your system, uh, cameras and all of that, Um, and It's, yeah, I mean, you know, um, another friend of mine, Amber Case, she actually gave a TED talk about 10 years ago. uh, And and the talk was, um, we're all cyborgs now. And her argument was, look, being a cyborg is as much, um, it's about this convergence between your sort of physical, organic self and electronics and if you think about the fact that if you lose your phone it's almost like losing an appendage like you kind of freak out you're like oh like it's a part of your brain that's mapped to this phone as an extension of yourself and um when you look at it in that lens it's like we're already well down the path like we know what it's like to be a cyborg now Um, it's a very short leap between this phone and maybe google glass on your face which i wore for a year and it was the same thing i always knew what time it was because it was just hovering this clock hovering in, this, in the air um and when i took it off it was really disorienting like I, I i didn't i always knew what time it was and suddenly i was like missing something like i i so i so i ended up getting a watch because i was just like obsessively like what time is it it didn't matter and and other people were doing these things with like um directionality there was a guy who had who had installed a um um, um a a um, magnet in his in his hand and it would rotate towards north and oh, he always knew what direction it was you just sort of uh, get a sense of what direction north was and and he started so he started being able to like he had like this perfect ability to navigate anywhere um yeah and so i mean that's that's really the definitely the next level is um, Inserting things. I mean, you look at Elon Musk and his Neuralink company, and you know they're trying to figure out how to do brain-machine interfaces by um, uh, I- inserting directly into your into your brain. Um, that's really the next level: is the ability to sort of directly um, not only consume information but also transmit information with your thoughts directly. Like everyone, this past year has been hard um, with with the pandemic, and I think it's been especially hard on kids. And I've got two young kids, and um, they were feeling very, very trapped in their house. Um, we don't have a yard. We're in a we're in a sort of brownstone kind of uh, townhouse. A lot of this technology really, really helped for them. So I talked about, for example, 3D printing toys. Um, they got to experiment in a lot of ways. So they found a lot of um, value um, in being able to sort of touch physical things rather than just looking at screens all day long. They w- became, they're really big fans of virtual reality. Um. Actually, when they first started going back to school virtually, they—my daughter did a chapter in her class on Egypt, and so we put on a virtual reality and like visited the pyramids virtually. And uh, you could walk around, and you know there were camels and everything. And and she was just an by it. and it made it real more real for her than simply either reading about it or even watching a video. And suddenly for about three months, like Egypt was her favorite thing in the world until she, you know, put on VR and then found that she could swim underwater with sharks. And it's like, oh man, sharks are the coolest things in the world. And so it's like, um, it, it, it really, really helped, I think. Um, and I don't think that's going away. I mean, now, even though they can go outside, like now VR, is just part of their routine and part of their life. And I don't think they're unique in this, I think. And they're part of this whole new generation called Gen Alpha. Um, is sort of the, the the next after Gen Z, um, which we think Gen Z are kids, but by 2025, 27% of the workforce will be Gen Z. So they're already coming out, they're, they're graduating, they're getting married, having kids on their own. And so Gen Alpha is sort of this next up and coming generation and they don't have a, divide between their physical life and their digital life anymore. To them, it's all one in the same. Really? Wow. And, and yeah, well, and so uh, uh, knowing that, um, I think it helps us that are a little older that used to have this divide, like we live in the real world and then we have our sort of digital online persona um, to, to start getting in their heads, like understanding them a little bit better, um, to know that, um, when, when, when we're thinking about, well, like what's the workforce of the future? Well, they're gonna expect this sort of premium digital experience that sort of blurs the lines between the physical and digital, because that's just what they're growing up with now. The one takeaway um, is that digital literacy isn't something you can rely on others for. If you're involved in leadership, setting goals, crafting strategies, anything, you have to be as familiar with the landscape of deep tech as you already are probably about other aspects of your business like marketing or finance. So, In this decade, it's a new basic requirement. We're all tech leaders now. And this book is just helping people take one step towards that reality.
1: 21st Century Entrepreneurship with Martin Piskorik.